If you will take your Bibles, please, this morning to the book of John. I'm going to read verses 25 to 31 here. If you'll all stand with me, please, for the reading. John chapter 14, beginning with verse number 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You may be seated. This is the last portion of the Upper Room Discourse. Let me just explain here. The Upper Room Discourse began in the 31st verse of the previous chapter. Verse th- chapter 13. When he had gone out, that is Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, and he began that discourse. It's continued into the 14th chapter. The end of the 13th chapter Simon Peter protested the Lord's uh, talk about leaving them and he said Lord where are you going Jesus answered him where I'm going you cannot follow me now but uh, uh, Peter in his overconfidence said Lord why can't we follow you now he said I'm willing to lay down my life for you his overconfidence then is corrected by Jesus who said, no, before this night is over, you're going to deny that you ever even knew me. Three times. Can you imagine that news to the Apostle Peter and to those that were sitting with him who were anxious and worried and wondering, what's going on here? Why? What is he talking about? I really believe that most of them had an expectation that Jesus was going to somehow now become the Messiah, overthrow the Romans, kick out the uh, corrupt Jews, and, and establish David's throne in Jerusalem. But he's going away. What? Where does that leave me? And so the 14th chapter then opens with these words, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. So then Jesus informs him of three things. First of all, he's told him, just trust me. You believe in God, believe also in me. I think that it's a declaration. 
I mean, a command. Trust me. Trust God. Trust me. Well, what good advice is that for all of us? When we are in situations we don't understand. God knows. God understands all of our situations. He is completely in control of everything that takes place in our lives. We may not see it. We sang in the song there. He, he knows the future. But when he leads us, it's just one step at a time. It's one step at a time. So he's telling the disciples... Do not be anxious about this. Trust God. Trust in me too. And then he gives them three reasons why they should trust him. The first reason is that he is the heavenly bridegroom. Now he doesn't say it in so many words, but it's clear from what he says in my father's house. And it's it that... That's interesting because, see, that follows the pattern of the Jewish wedding. After the betrothal, the bridegroom left. Uh, according to the law of the day, he was, he was her husband and she was the, the wife. But he went away for a time. To do what? To prepare a place for her in the father's house. And then he would come and get her, the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew talks about that. Uh, the, the ten wise and the ten foolish virgins uh, waiting for the bridegroom to come. It's getting late in the night and the lamps burn down. And then suddenly there's the messenger giving the summons. The bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. What was that for? It was so that he could come and take his bride and take her away to the father's house and there they would celebrate the wedding. And so that's what Jesus says here. I'm going to the father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. In the meantime in his absence while he's gone he, secondly, he, he is going to pro provide for them a helper. As we have the translation here in our English Standard Version, it's the Greek word paraclete. I mentioned last week the comforter. Uh, that's a great translation if you live in Elizabethan times and understand that term in, in, the, in those times. Uh, comfort. It's, it is comfort, but it's more than comfort. It's with, it's from the Latin, with strength. He's going to be the one who will give us and provide us strength. He's going to come and, and live in us. As Jesus is going away to the Father's house to prepare a place for us to live with him forever, he's going to send a, a member of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity, into the believer's hearts and lives to be there, to live there permanently, to be their strength, to be their paraclete. One called alongside to assist, to, to help. So helper, I think, is a good translation here. But then he, he makes a, an interesting Reference there, the world cannot receive him. 
Now this, you see, this is going to be tied to the peace that we're about to, to address here. But the world cannot receive the Spirit of God. Because the world doesn't want anything to do with God. The world is blind and dead to spiritual things. And in complete submission to the, to the prince of this world. Or the God of this world. As Jesus spoke of him later. In this passage. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't understand the Holy Spirit. The world knows nothing of the Holy Spirit. He said the world cannot receive him. Why? Because it neither sees him or knows him. But then he said these words to the, the disciples. And I, and I so appreciate this need to, to examine ourselves before the Lord. Constantly seeking the Lord's face on these matters because we, we, we become so self-deceived so many times. Like Peter with overconfidence. Was Peter not a believer because he denied the Lord? No, no, we know that that's not true because we know that Peter was truly a believer. But Peter was trusting in himself. What I can do for Jesus. Lord, I'm, I'll lay down my life for you. No, you won't. Because the, the circumstance is going to come when you're going to be so terrified that you will deny me three times in order to preserve yourself. But uh, he told Peter earlier, he said, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. Think about that. Satan desires you too. That he may sift you as wheat. Watch out. Be on guard. Beware. Be alert. Be vigilant. Your adversary the devil is a lion. Goes about seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy that wants us destroyed. He's desired you Peter that he may sift you as wheat. But wait a minute. Jesus said, I prayed for you. Oh, my Savior sits at the right hand of the Father as at my intercessor. He prays for me. There's my hope. It's not in my own strength. It's not my own confidence. It's not my own ability. But it's in Him. I prayed for you. That your faith fail not. What faith? The same faith that Jesus commanded his disciples with the troubled hearts. Trust me. I have a plan. You may not understand all the ins and outs of the plan. So don't trust anything but me. Trust me. And I'm going to give you a comforter, a helper. He's going to come into your life. And he is the one that the world doesn't know anything about and cannot know anything about. But here's the condition and the qualification. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Do you love the Lord Jesus? And if you keep His commandments, and wait, it, it's not, here we got to be very, very careful. These things don't earn us salvation. They are the proof of our salvation. Like Ron was talking about the ordinances at the table. Uh, the ordinances replace all the Jewish rituals and all the Jewish holy days. We still have Christians who want to celebrate the holy days. Paul made it very clear in his writings that we don't, we don't keep holy days anymore. The church has two ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's table. The Lord's supper. And it's to remind us. It's to remind us of our relationship to Jesus Christ. It's to remind, do, do I feel the Holy Spirit? Can I, can I, is there some way that I can tangibly, you know, I mean, a lot of people would like to, like that, you know, jabber away in some, in unintelligible language or, or roll in the aisles or somehow get zapped and fall over or whatever they do, you know, all kinds of, of, uh, of things that people want to do to, to prove to themselves that they have, the Holy Spirit. But what what is the what's what's the scriptures tell us that we need to do? We just simply need to trust him. I can't feel him, but I believe he's there. And I believe not only he's there, but he's guiding every one of my steps and he's enabling my faith and he's strengthening my spiritual life. So then Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. See, they were trusting Jesus to do that for them. He was their rabbi, their teacher. They walked in his steps. They learned from him. They trusted him. Now he's going away. Who, who's going to lead us? Who's going to help us? Who's going to teach us? Ah, the spirit of truth. He's going to teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance at whatsoever I have commanded you. Ah, is he doing that for you? See, this is the question. See, there is a condition. There is a condition. The condition is, do you trust him? Do you believe it? Then the third thing here, I'm taking a little longer than in the introduction than I wanted to, but I want to. But you got to see this. You have to see this. And then the third thing is, he's bequeathing them with his peace. It's not just any peace; it's his peace. It says in the twenty-seventh verse, "Peace, I leave with you." My peace I give to you. And then he closes that with a repeat of that first verse of the 14th chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Or in this case he says, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
So that brings us to this question here about what peace is. And this is what we're going to be dealing with here in this. But in this passage, Jesus in carefully contrasts believers in the world. And this I want you to see, because this is very important to understanding of the whole passage. If you're a, if you're a believer, you don't belong to the world anymore. You're living here as an alien and a stranger in a foreign land. And I'm going to tell you, the people of that foreign land don't like you. So how do we get along in the world? We adjust to it. We live like they do so that they won't hate us as much. Isn't that what we do? But that's the wrong approach. So the first question is, what is the world? You see, believers are in the world, but they're not of the world. So the question is, what is the world? The, that comes from the Greek word cosmos. John uses it uh, probably more than anybody else in the, uh, the New Testament writers, this word cosmos, and he uses it in different ways, but basically it means all the same thing, and the definition of it is simply this, an apt and harmonious arrangement or, con or constitution. So, for example, in John 3.16, when, when, uh, when Jesus said, for God, or John writes, for God so loved the world. See, that poses a little bit of a problem for us because uh, in 1 John we're told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So, wait a minute, God loves the world, but we're not supposed to? That's right. Because there's two different things going on here. John 3.16, God says, I love my apt and harmonious arrangement, my world that I created. I love it. When he finished it, he looked on all of it and said, very good. But then sin came into it. And therefore, it became highly corrupted. This world is a highly corrupted thing, yet it's still apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution of something, but highly corrupted. Therefore, we're not to love it. Now, how did God love it? He loved it in that He gave His only begotten Son that the ones believing should not perish but have everlasting life. God says, I'm going to redeem that world. I'm going to fix it. But in the meantime, don't love it. Don't love it. It is the it's defined in Scripture as the moral order in rebellion against God. And because of sin, there is only enmity and perversity in the world and no peace. So what is peace? The peace that Jesus gives is transcendent. By His death, Jesus brought the people of God, bought the people of God, peace with God. Thus peace transcends understanding. 
So we read there in, in uh, Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall guard, literally set up a perimeter to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So his peace is bequeathed. Jesus said, peace, I'm bequeathing to you. I leave you. He's talking here about what a uh, father leaves to his children as an inheritance. I'm bequeathing this to you. I'm going away now. I've built this great business, son. I'm, I'm stepping down. And I'm leaving it to you. And his son says, thanks. No. <laughs> Bequeathing. That's what Jesus is doing here with peace. What peace? The peace of God. My peace. My peace. And he's going to do this bequeathing via the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 ties directly to verse 27 when, where he says, He, that is the Spirit, will teach you all things and bring all things uh, to your remembrance, all things that I have said to you. I know you're, you're anxious and upset, but I've said a lot of things to you that while I was with you that you didn't even listen to. You didn't hear them. You know, it's like a wife... Were you listening to me? <laughs> to her husband. She said, I've said a lot of things to you and you haven't uh, responded on any of these things. Are you listening to me? Well, that's the way Jesus was with his disciples. They weren't listening to him. They had their minds on what they conceived to be the plan of God, not what God, Jesus was telling them was the plan of God. So now he says, look guys, I'm going to. I'm bequeathing my peace to you, and here's how the here's how it's going to work out. The Spirit is going to teach these things to you, and going to rem, remind you of the things that I said to you. How? Not through visions and dreams, but through the Holy Scriptures. Through the Holy Scriptures, He's going to tell you all these things. So then. And this is, this is the way I'm bequeathing my peace to you. And then uh, connecting that with verse 27, as I said, uh, it is the means of conferring this peace. Trust producing peace and assurance in the believer. The Spirit enables my trust. He informs my believing. He enables that. So what is it? That's the third thing here is peace is the shalom of God. See, here's one of those areas where we need to understand this in the Old Testament context. Uh, we, we think of peace as some kind of inner, inward tranquility. It's not. It, it, that's the fruit of it, but that's not what it is. It's the Hebrew term shalom, which is peace. And 
and interestingly here the Jewish people customarily greeted each other or or uh, uh, when they uh, used that as a uh, farewell parting word when they saw you oh shalom brother or when they all right I'm going to go now shalom <laughs> that kind of thing see and and we listen to that we say hello and goodbye in our English language really doesn't have any significance to us that it does with the Hebrew shalom. What does what what was a Jew trying to convey to his brother or sister when he greeted them with shalom or when he departed with them with shalom? Because this is what Jesus did. It's a constant reminder to God's people that a right relationship with God brings peace. He earned that by his death on the cross. God is no longer angry with you. Now, as a father, he may come, become upset with you once in a while when you do dumb things, but he is, you're no longer under his wrath. He is now a heavenly father to you. So when Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, he's saying, I am making, I, may, I want you to understand that your relationship to God is now on a friendly basis. He loves you. He cares for you. He is no longer wrathful toward you. Think about that. I have said, he says in the 16th chapter, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That is, an inward tranquility of soul, understanding that God is no longer my enemy. In the world, he said, you ha shall have tribulation, because the world does hate you. And it's angry with you. And it wants to rid it itself of you. That's, that, that's where we live right now. But then Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, victory! <laughs> the victory is mine. So after his resurrection... Jesus uses the same term to greet his own, assuring them again, all is well. So we read there in the 20th chapter, verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, let's look at this for a minute here, the peace of God. Verse 27 is that declaration bequeathing his peace, the peace that he would give them was not the peace that the world promised, but cannot give. Worldly peace, and here's a, there's an important truth here, worldly peace is unable to deal with the fundamental cause of all strife. Self. Selfishness. So, we compromise, we cajole, we give up things to to make it 
better for everybody. Okay, I don't want to upset you. I don't want to get you all riled. So I'm going to compromise here. I'll I'll not do this, or I'll I'll just back away, or I'll I'll go I'll go away from here. Whatever. That's how the that's the problem in the world is this matter of selfishness. See, here's where the helper comes in again, because he is going to override that propensity in us. And we're going to have that propensity until the glorification stage in which we're transformed into his likeness. But it selfishness produces this hatred, this bitterness, this malice, this anxiety and fear. The world wants peace, desires peace, pursues peace, promises peace, but the worldly peace requires force and dominion for its realization. How do you know? So what do we do? We pass laws. Obey the law or go to jail. Force the sword. You will obey. Pax Romana. See, that the, Jew, the Jewish people were very familiar with Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome. Yeah, a lot of peace. Soldiers standing everywhere with swords. It was enforced. It was won and maintained with the sword. And this is what the disciples expected of Jesus and His kingdom. So we read in Jeremiah, for from the Least to the greatest of them. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Doesn't that sound like our politics, <laughs> political world right now? From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people slight, lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there, when there is no peace. Were they, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they will be overthrown, says the Lord. He's talking about the religious folks of his day too. Compromise. Dominion. Force. Compromise. That's what the world wants of us too today. Submit. Compromise. No, I've got to be obedient to Jesus. Jesus' peace then answers to the Hebrew shalom. And it's more, as I said, than inward tranquility, freedom from fear and anxiety, though that is a fruit of it. Rather, peace is the state of one who is in a blessed condition, being in a right relationship with God and others, especially those with those who could put who could, who could who could put one in great danger or do great harm how do we live in a world we live in obedience to god and being in obedience to god we trust him to enable us to be protected religion even the jewish religion of jesus day offered peace Jeremiah 6.14 They have healed the wound of my, of my people slightly, saying, this is why God said, I've got to do a whole new thing here. They, 
healed the wound of my people slightly, saying, notice, the wound of my people. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. The Lord's peace promised to his disciples would be, would be the joyful tranquility of soul only when the disciples learn to trust him fully and only when they stop being troubled and grieved, fearful and perplexed. His peace had considerable messianic implications, being the fundamental characteristic of the promised messianic kingdom. Observe what was promised in the Old Testament. I'm going to read several verses here. In Numbers chapter 26, verse 20, or chapter 6, verse 26. The Lord commanded Moses to have Aaron and his sons to bless the people with these words. You know, you read these words and you, you don't think of the powerful spiritual implications of them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So then, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Whoa. Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will give strength to his people. What's the Spirit of God? He is the comforter with strength. With strength. The Lord bless his people with what? Peace. The Lord's blessing and favor. Isaiah verse, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. His name, here's the Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What? Prince of Peace! Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. Yeah. Peace I live with you. My peace give I unto you. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Mm. Isaiah 54, verse 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Great shall be the peace of your children. Ah, when you listen to the Lord and when the Lord teaches you and you obey the Lord, and then you have the peace of God. Isaiah 57, verse 19. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, I will heal him. That's the gospel. It brings us back into a right relationship with God. So that now God smiles upon me favorably. His face shines on me. Peace. Ezekiel 37 verses 20, 
27 uh, and uh, tw- uh, 26 and 27. I made covenant. I made a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. My dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the church. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9. The latter glory of his house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. That's, that's all that was promised. Now, how is it fulfilled? See, peace is a mark of the new covenant. Peter, in uh, chapter 10, verse, verses 34 to 36, when he was in the house of Cornelius, he, now he's defending himself to, 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 to this to the, to the Jews. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching Good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Cornelius' house because God accepted him. And just like Israel, he now has the gospel preached to him the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Then in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, it says, To all who are in Rome... And here, this is a typical greeting that uh, the apostle gives in his letters to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a clear promise of the gospel. And it dissolves fear and secures tranquility in the face of trouble, guards the heart and the minds of God's people against anxiety. So we read in Philippians 4, 7, the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And then it it promotes harmony. And this is important. Here's a very important point. It promotes harmony among God's people. You know when you have a problem is when people in the church are at odds with each other. You've got a problem. They're not under the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of peace. And this this lack of harmony is not resolved by compromise. It's resolved by the truth. So we read in Romans 14, verses 7 17 and 19, for the kingdom of God, I love this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So what's a believer's responsibility to another believer? It's to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. I want my way. Now I want my way. I've been in I've been in Baptist business meetings that you that you listen to, to people who you thought were godly. And you walk out of there saying, "What in the world is going on?" The 
the state of affairs with the troubled disciples then revealed that the personal responsibility necessary for one to experience the peace of God. Trust me. How would you characterize your own life before God? Is it one of peace? Or is it full of anxiety and fear? The disciples lacked understanding of why Jesus was going away and they lacked the, tr they lacked the trust in their present circumstances. And this prompted the Lord to correct them. Thus, that we consider this the need. And I'm going to finish up here. What, what the disciples told, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going, no, notice back down there in verse uh, 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Yeah. What would be the cause of their rejoicing and despair? Well, first of all, Jesus was going to the Father, which implied that he was going to take them there to be with him forever. Boy, that, shouldn't that make you happy? I'm going to be with Jesus forever. He was going there to prepare a place for them, and he would return and bring them again to the Father's house. And then Jesus declared that the Father was greater than all, than he now, that has caused some to, to have wrongfully uh, taken that Jesus here was denying his equality with God. That's an error that's resolved in the very first chapter, the first three verses. But some have taken the passage to mean everything is under control. <laughs> no. In other words, God is sovereign over all things. That is true. But there is far more at stake here. The state of his incarnation, in the state of his incarnation, and here's the point. In the state of his incarnation, he was inferior to God. And now he's telling them, guys, I'm going back to the Father. The state of my original state standing is going to be restored. We read there in Hebrews, you made him, Jesus, for a little time lower than the angels, quoting here from the 110th Psalm, or from the 6th Psalm, excuse me. But afterward, you have, you have crowned him with glory and honor. And here's the implication, is that the disciples would rejoice because Jesus was going back to the place where he belonged. Now, the, now, Father, glorify me with your pre own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the, uh, before the world existed. That's chapter John chapter 17, verse 5. Now, the, the disciples' emotional grief then was the index of their self-centeredness. And if they truly loved Jesus, they would have realized that his departure was his and their gain. Thus, they should have rejoiced with him in it. Rather, they mourned over their personal loss and disappointment. Selfishness is the major block of peace and blessing in God's people. Get it down. What's the, what's the, the remedy? Information. Information was the means of their and our correction. He told them these things not to shame them. 
but to ensure faith when the things about which he's spoken came to be. The hour of his departure loomed and shortly uh, would uh, intrude on his ability to teach them all that he wished. What he would tell them would result in their believing. And so verse 29, and I have told you this so that before it takes place, it, before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. The prince of darkness of this peaceless world was about to come. So the bottom line here is that is and the example here of to the disciples is evident. The cross was to show the world that rather than be defeated, God Jesus loved the Father. He obeyed his Father's commandment. And in it he defeats the world. And his disciples should proclaim this truth to the world. Is, is the promised portion of God's people, why do so few believers experience the peace of God? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what should characterize the church. Conflict that produces anxiety and fear is a product of selfish and carnal nature which is foreign to Christ's purpose for his own. The church needs to model righteous behavior. And I think that's what's going to happen. Judgment must begin in the house of God. We need to show how different we are from the world and that's why Jesus is bequeathing peace to his own. So how does your life emulate this promise in the text? Think about that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, thank You for this great passage. For the great truth that's evident here. That because of Christ's tribulation, we have peace with God. Now in our tribulation, as we live through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the life of Christ in the world, we preach the gospel of peace to those around us who know no, who know, know, know peace and can find no peace outside of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us faithful. And we'll bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.